Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937, now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc. From Commander's Palace Restaurant in the Garden District in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti. Peter Raschuti is Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and economist. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Raschuti. Once a week, I have lunch at Commander's Palace and invite guests from the world of New Orleans business to join me. It wasn't too long ago that New Orleans was a place you had to leave to have a decent business career. Now it's a place entrepreneurs move to. This radical change in our landscape didn't just happen, it was engineered. I'm not sure that Tim Williamson and his Idea Village knew quite how big this thing was going to get when they launched this revolution, but now they're embarking on their fifth entrepreneur season announcing an impressive list of 2013's newest crazy ideas. One of the craziest ideas from a few years back may have been launching a web-based marketplace for 3D graphics. Sounds like a recipe for instant obscurity and financial disaster, right? Wrong! Matt Wisdom's Turbo Squid is a massive success and a worldwide industry leader. Matt Wisdom, Tim Williamson, I'm thrilled to have you guys at lunch today. Uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down with me. Uh, Tim, this is the uh, fifth year that you're unveiling a class of entrepreneurs under the Idea Village's slogan, Trust Your Crazy Ideas. Uh, after four years, how many of these crazy ideas have turned into solid businesses? And just give me an example of some of the ones that have worked out pretty well. Well, sure. Um, actually, since uh, 2000, we worked with over 1,700 entrepreneurs wow. in the city of New Orleans. Wow. Um, and collectively, that group has created over 2,000 jobs, over $100 million in revenue. About 30 of them have actually created a majority of the jobs. So 30 of them have created about 500 jobs in the last couple of years. TurboSquid is certainly one of them. And they've raised about $25 million uh, in, in private capital. So the great news is there's entrepreneurs in the city. They're raising money. They're hiring folks. Um, the data is validating the ecosystem's growing. And all we have to do, the big idea, is just sustain this. If we could actually just sustain this momentum and actually in keep engaging local and national networks to support this, we actually may pull it off. What entrepreneurship does becomes a magnet for talent. So New Orleans has now become a brain magnet. I think we're the number one brain magnet in the country by Forbes. But entrepreneurship and vitality attracts capital, attracts talent, and starts to help the other companies around. So I would make a case that the cities in the next 10 years that are able to build these entrepreneurial ecosystems become talent magnets are the ones that will succeed. And we're positioned for that as a community. Well, that is awesome. And Matt, you, you and your brother launched TurboSquid, right? That's a family affair. That's as it. a marketplace for online art. When, as I understand it, the market barely existed, you created the marketplace. Um, that risky move came without any guarantees. Uh, when did you realize the gamble was going to work and uh, you were going to be successful? Yeah, I realized it maybe earlier than some of the other folks did because I could look at our sales and I could just see they were growing you know, with that compound growth. If you're growing 10% a month or 20% or whatever, it was just a question of waiting out. We had investors and the numbers were small. You know, you've got the law of small numbers, you start off. And that was one of the jokes is after our first four months of sales when we went live, we said, great, well look, we just have to grow another 20,000% to hit break even. <laughs> 
You know, and, and, but the thing is that, but you could see we were going to do that. I mean, the growth curve has been fantastic. It just, you had to wait to get to the point where the numbers became large enough that the growth would be really meaningful. So I saw it pretty early, but 2000, we, when we got our, we started the company in 2000, got $5 million from Intel, Kodak, and Advantage Capital that was in 01. The, that was the first, uh, first funding round in 01. And the thing is, is, at that point it was still really early and we started at the first moment the company could succeed. If we had started it a year earlier, we probably would have raised $20 million, spent it, died. Well, Matt, I'm glad that worked. When I, I love to brag about you, but I have a lot of trouble trying to explain in a couple of sentences what Turbo Squid is. Can you help us? Yeah, we do something that's visual, so it's always easier to see, but it's kind of like an eBay where we're selling 3D objects. So if people know CAD, uh, for computer-aided design, for designing buildings or whatnot, they may be seen 3D. Or if you've seen the feature films, Pixar movies. Those are all done in 3D. All of the pieces are built in the computer. They're all animated. The imagery and you, you see in a theater is, was never on film. It was always done digitally. It was created by people, you know, a bunch of computer geeks and artists sitting behind computer screens making characters come alive. So if you think of Pixar's movie making, the items in their movies are props. It, they might be at a table, they might have a car, they might have whatever, and think of all those props and even the people, all those objects are in 3D, and we sell those. Tim, when I talk to you, one of the things that you've mentioned to me in the past is that we're getting to a point, an exciting point in the entrepreneurship community where folks are maybe selling off a portion of their business or their businesses, and they're, and they're becoming venture capitalists. The, uh, the entrepreneurs themselves are going to... Are we there yet, or is it... Uh, well, I think we're starting to see, and I, I think Matt is, is, is an example of second stage entrepreneurs where they're out of the startup stage. They, they've, they've launched it, there's revenue, they've raised money, they now have a, a real organization that's becoming a real job in a sense. But they not only do they have experience, um, but they're, um, they're great mentors and they want to do it again. So you're seeing the second stage entrepreneurs like uh, Matt or Nick or other entrepreneurs in the community start to say, I want to A, do another one, which means either I start my own company or do I take my capital and help another entrepreneur. So the cycle of, of reinvestment or serial entrepreneurs investing and supporting is beginning. I wouldn't say we're like San Francisco, but I'm starting to see entrepreneurs who are now looking for their next deal or the next opportunity. They might not want to do the whole thing themselves. That means they're willing to invest in another company to do it. Um, and more importantly, they're the best entrepreneurs to scale because they've done it before. So the answer is, I would say this ecosystem is working, but it's young. This is a very young ecosystem and we're seeing measurable results. But what you just mentioned, the second stage entrepreneurs are evolving. Um, and not only are they evolving as investors, they're evolving as leaders in our community. I mean, think about if all the entrepreneurs were on the city council. Yeah, or think about if, <laughs> it, if, would be if, if it, it would be different. <laughs> yeah, it, it certainly would be different ways of doing things. So I'm seeing the entrepreneurs take leadership positions in our city. Basically, the person raising their hand up, wait, why don't we think that way? Why are we doing it this way? Let's do it another way. So you're seeing a new generation of leaders evolve as investors, but also leaders. And, you know, you've been through so many uh, startups and entrepreneurs, is there, are there certain characteristics you see that make a successful entrepreneur? Is there a... It's not necessarily the business plan. It's not the idea as much as the passion and commitment of the entrepreneur. So part of what it is is finding someone who is, like, like which Matt's story, is, is so, sees the problem and is committed to solving that problem. And it's less about money. 
but it's more about solving a problem and they're willing to do whatever it takes. So the criteria is more, is, is that passion, that commitment, and, and that, that crazy look in their eyes to say <laughs> that, you know what, I see something you don't see and I'm going to do it whether you, you, you help me or not. And secondarily, there's a, there's a personality side that's very attractive. That is the people who attract networks where you just want to help them, right? <laughs> are the ones I start to succeed because they build the lawyers and accountants and professionals want to help. If someone's not a nice person, you know, if they're a jerk, no one wants to help them. So there's an energy and a personality and a magnetism and just a passion. Like they're going up the hill with or without you and you want to join them. So we just look for that passion. Yeah, I mean, there are two things I'd say that I've seen. One is just that they, they won't quit. That's it. I mean, when you look at all this stuff, you just, you have to go through all kinds of trials and tribulations and you won't even know. It's sort of like, how do you explain starting a business and, and making it successful? How do you explain to somebody who's never had kids what it's like to raise them, <laughs> right? It just, you can't really understand. It's kind of like the matrix. You have to take the red pill or whatever and you, and you won't know it until you do that, right? So you're sort of stuck having to, you have to learn it, you have to learn it the hard way and you have to not quit. And that is the hardest thing is just to stay in it and do it. And the second thing is continually being willing to reinvent your business or the idea to find the right way that it fits your market. I mean, there's all kinds of buzzwordy terms now, but a notion of product market fit, which is the idea of like, what is the part of your product that actually people love? Do that a lot more. And the part that you're not very good at, stop doing that. Like I play music in a band and it's funny, we've gotten a lot better over the years, but we get better because we don't do the songs we're bad at. <laughs> And we do songs that we're good at, right? We do more of what we're good at and less of what we're bad at, and then you get better. And people say, wow, you all have gotten so much better, but it's not because we got any more talented. Because you stop playing Thai Yellow Ribbon. We're not that That's talented. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. You just stop playing Thai Yellow Ribbon. Maybe you, maybe you compromise a little bit on your ideals. Maybe you have to play Tommy Two-Tone at a party. You don't know. But the answer is, is as long as people are dancing and they're valuing what you're doing, that's the success. And you have to be willing to just keep on doing that. It's a very, his point is, is, is a very important that the, the self-awareness, that the entrepreneurs who know what they're good at, and more importantly know what they're bad at, are the great entrepreneurs because they surround themselves with people who are good at what they're bad at. They don't try to be uh, a, a marketing person if they're not good at marketing. They, some people can't make that? Some people, and it's, they try to do it all. Yeah. The entrepreneurs that aren't necessarily the best are the ones who try to do everything. We're the ones who say, I'm really bad at marketing and I need help. I'm really bad at sales. I'm really bad at technology. Uh, but secondarily is the ability to fail. And, and people are like, oh no, we shouldn't fail. Failing is the best thing entrepreneurs can do because it, it teaches you how to do it better. And I think as a community, the more we embrace failure, hey, what was your last failure? You know, and that's actually, the one who failed once is more likely to succeed. We get more concerned about people who've never failed. Right? So if you've never failed before, what happens when you're, you don't have any money? Or what happens when your investor pulls out? Or what happens when your product doesn't work? If you can't handle that downside, you're not going to be able to go through the cycle. So, so you've got a resiliency you're looking in for? Resiliency, but that, that, to say, when I failed, this is what I did. But if you can't say when you failed, you don't want this to be your first one. So if as an investor, you don't want them to learn about what happens when it goes down. So finding the resiliency, the passion, the commitment, but is willing to go deep, deep, dark and have a painful, dark you know, time and come out of it and be excited by that. <laughs> be excited by the, the pit. That's pretty great. This is the part of the show we call the checklist. It's, uh, we usually take a break and ask a couple of quick questions that you probably wouldn't uh, find on a loan application. Um, are you scared of anything? 
I'm worried about China. That's really, I mean, if you ask my biggest worry is really? what happens with China and... Um, what part of that? That the growth slows or... Uh... Well, the real estate in particular and the growth slowing. So, so what happens with, um, I think it, in some of these countries, and we partner with people, they're actually not allowed to invest money outside of their own country. So they can't buy U.S. stocks. That's illegal in any number of countries. And so one of the things that's happened as the world economy has expanded is that they're buying local real estate because you can buy real estate with your own currency. And so part of what's happened in China is that people bought apartments and real estate and built almost these shadow Because they have options, right? I mean, this is, Where are you yeah. going to put your money? And you, got, you, know, you have uh, the one-child rule. And so how, what's... When you have four grandparents living off of one grandchild because the two parents had one child, the husband, and two parents had the wife, and then they had one child, what's the retirement system? So China, that's a big part of risk right now is if that unwinds inside that system, we don't know what's going to happen, right? The cheap goods that we all buy, that was Walmart, that's all paid for by Chinese labor, that could be tough. Anyway, wow. and then what, so it's not, when you hear Mitt Romney say, we're going to get tough on China, I don't believe it for a second. <laughs> Right. Can't afford to. We can't afford to. I mean, not, it's not just that they buy our debt and the rest of that. It's that if we wreck their economy, who's going to be manufacturing stuff for us? I mean, we, we now, we own each other. You know what I mean? We need each other. So, That's... but I worry that that unravels a little bit in the one party system and, you know, a little revolution wouldn't be so good. Wow, now that... That's a much more macro answer. I, I know, Tim, you are afraid of escalators. I believe that's <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything that does spooks you? Well, um... There's actually a, a company that, that, that came in this year, and what they do is um, detect and manage malware or these viruses. And so as we all have these iPhones, and as we all have computers are becoming part of this, it's becoming a haven for viruses and attacking. So I think, you know, she was given, in her presentation, she set the scenario that did you know that this virus went into this nuclear reactor and somehow they were able to resolve it so you know if one were to say with my little girl you know katie blair five years old so by the time she's 15 or 20 what's this digital world you know we know the the benefits of it what's the other side of it you know um, yeah. so if, if i'm gonna get global like matt yeah. <laughs> i was gonna talk about snakes and and, and, <laughs> and, and burnt bre uh, french bread but the, <laughs> no but I, I i mean even here and and that's why we sort of like that idea that you know Clearly, that's a problem. And how do we solve it? We've got to be a front end of that. And it's going to be some entrepreneur that solves it, right? Hopefully, some entrepreneur solves it. There's, uh, you know, uh, we're going to check our inbox now. Uh, our producer picks a question that's come from a, a listener. That's right, Peter. Grant's away on assignment, but here's today's question from Iris Levinson. Does New Orleans entrepreneurship have a theme, like Silicon Valley in California, Starbucks in Seattle, Dell in Austin? Is anything big going to blossom here other than Turbo Squid? Or are we going to be like an entrepreneurial magazine street, a collection of small but interesting boutique businesses? What do you think? Is there going to be one industry that dominates, or, or are we just going to become a, like a smorgasbord for entrepreneurship? Really, we want the smorgasbord. I mean, you don't really know. You can't predict it. So let's get as many different companies disrupting or improving as many different industries, and just you got to go out there. At some level, this is a, an odds game. It's a numbers game. Startups fail at a high rate. We need to try, we need to accept that failure and just keep on going. But we need to, I don't think we should pick just one niche. If, yeah, if, if New Orleans can become that laboratory for community change. So you come to New Orleans to try things. 
Now, this is the best place in the country, or you know, let's say the world, to try new things. Well, diversity reduces risk, and you see it everywhere. I mean, it's part of why, when you look at any anyone, just take from health, if you look at any one disease, it doesn't affect everybody. The diversity is truly strength, and that's something for us to revel in in New Orleans. But it also, just worldwide, right, diversity makes it hard to get along. We all don't think the same way. That's, that's the other side of diversity, but it also creates all that opportunity. I mean, God forbid, you know, I just ate this fantastic, this fantastic uh, pork with the, was it the ribs, and I see shrimp over there, and everybody doesn't like the same food. We're not, not all attracted to the same same woman or the same man or the yeah, same I like whatever, that pork, right? But you ate it all. I, I, <laughs> sorry, yeah, yeah. And it's I, good well, we're not all attracted it. to the same woman. It's, it's actually good. a good point. You, you, <laughs> you don't want to have all your eggs in right. any one basket, in any one industry, because you rise and fall with that, and it, it causes so many problems. The more diverse New Orleans can be, and literally in every single way, it, it all plays to our strengths. And, and I heard, you know, if we could be people focused, if we can be focused on growing people versus, like you said, Mercedes plants, let's recruit this industry. No, let's be the best place for people to, to start their new ideas. It's a different way of thinking, but that's how communities grow, is through people. So that's where I think New Orleans is perfectly positioned in the next cycle. Well, that sounds great. This is the part of the show where we like to look at our lunch money. Lunch money is our out-to-lunch stock portfolio. Uh, obviously, uh, each week, you know, we have guests recommend a stock, and we put it on our, on our website and such. But what do you two guys like? You know, I, I, I don't pick stocks a whole lot. I, I do like watching the tech stocks. I find them just completely fascinating. So Apple has been such an interesting one to watch. Their growth has just been absolutely astonishing. So even at the current valuation of the most valuable company in the world the stock is not priced it's crazy still, it's most still people look at a PE. A what is buy. it is yes yeah, it's, it's like 16 or something like that it's very low even I mean, though the stock price is going well, mainly because earnings have ramped up even faster the earnings right? are incredible and they, you know so as compared to say amazon's price to earnings is it like 300 so apple's making something like 15 times the profit that amazon's making i mean per share anyway but so it, it, it's fascinating so apple's just an interesting that'll, stock. that'll be our stock and you you're Earlier, we were talking about how it, Apple's become large as if Apple were a government, it would be a, a country, it would be a big country. Well, that's a, I, one of the most fascinating things to me about the, the evolution of business and capitalism is these corporations and companies in general are producing enormous value, but they're also gaining government scale resources. Mm. So when you look at this, Apple's revenue in the next 12 months will probably be 200 billion. And the US Treasury's revenue will probably be two trillion. So Apple's running probably about 10% of the revenue of the U.S. government. You start thinking about the power that starts to accrue in these companies. It's astonishing. As a state, would Apple be the fifth biggest state by revenue? I mean, after California. Wow, the state but, I mean, of it's, Apple. It might be less and bigger than probably all but maybe 20 countries in the world. So if you look around this, the corporations are now at a level that's, um, I think, unprecedented in world history. I saw an economist the other day was talking about how the third quarter GDP numbers for the U.S. were going to be have to be edged up because we've offered the Apple 5. It was like, it's actually affecting the bar graph. They, uh, well, we'll use Apple for you. Tim, what, what, do you, what do you like? Well, if he's put up Apple, I'll, I'll put up Google, I guess. Okay, so, so all right, I, all right. I, I, um, and, and it's probably an a, a, a internal agenda, but we, uh, they, we recently announced a partnership, or Google did, where they're coming up with a Google for entrepreneurs. And what they're doing is building tools to actually help grow these ecosystems. And so the idea of, of connecting the world and using tools to connect the world but really driving economies uh, is something they just launched. They're going to be beta testing it in New Orleans. 
and around the world. So the only reason I don't know the PE now and I don't know the earnings. But, like, the, but by the way, you did at one point. You I, were in this business. <laughs> I did. <laughs> um, but what I do know, but I think it's going from just being a search engine to be useful tools to help people manage their lives and deeper now the communities to grow. And so I think that, that leg into if we could create a platform for communities to connect and they could scale that to all these communities around the world is a, is a very fascinating way to drive a bunch of commerce. I, I personally probably won't buy any Apple stock at the moment. If I were going to do it, I'd probably short Microsoft because Windows 8 is a, a serious disaster <laughs> as I've seen it now. So is this the we'll first see. short on the show? <laughs> yes, you've never had I'm this I'm offering before. a short. Wow. See, I, is, I'm still a, I'm a total optimist. That's, but, a, that's a fancy lunch when you can <laughs> offer a short up. You know, if you, if you have a suggestion for a stock to add to the lunch money portfolio, drop me a line. My address is on our website, itsneworleans.com. Tim Williamson, Matt Wisdom, you guys have made indelible changes to the New Orleans landscape. Idea Village's forward thinking has rewritten what it means to do business in New Orleans. The reverberations from your work, Tim, have barely even begun to be felt, but it's going to be quite a legacy you have. I'm very, very proud to have, uh, to have been your professor. Uh, meanwhile, the fun continues with the 2013 class of entrepreneurs, and we look forward to meeting them and having them on the show. Uh, Matt, a lot of young entrepreneurs talk about you as their role model, uh, and it's easy to see why. You're blazing a new trail for a new generation of New Orleans entrepreneurs. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, I hear you're a hell of a guitar player. There's, uh, yeah. I, I dispute all those facts. Really, I'm, I'm taking lessons with John Rankin, so maybe next time we'll, we'll jam. We'll try this. It's, uh, Matt, Tim, thank you so much for joining me on, uh, on Out to Lunch today. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks so much. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Tim Williamson, CEO of Idea Village, and Matt Wisdom, co-founder of TurboSquid and VoteIt.com. To find out more about VoteIt, TurboSquid, and Idea Village, follow the links on our websites, itsneworleans.com and www. WNO.org. Our show is recorded live over lunch at Commander's Palace in New Orleans. Commander's Palace serves lunch Monday through Friday, jazz brunch on Saturday and Sunday with live music, and dinner seven nights a week. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Our web designer and digital guru is Dr. Cliff Brigden. Jennifer Smith is our researcher. Mitch Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can keep up with our continuing adventures in Crescent City Commerce by liking It's New Orleans on Facebook, and you can sign up for our mailing list at itsneworleans.com and you can follow us on Twitter. We're at It's New Orleans. To listen to past shows or get the show as a podcast, go to wwno.org or itsneworleans.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting and WWNO for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. Until we meet again around the table here at Commander's Palace, I'm Peter Rusciutti. Thanks for joining me on Out to Lunch. Major support for Out to Lunch provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937. Now with more than 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. Online at joneswalker.com. Additional support for Out to Lunch from Fidelity Homestead Savings Bank and Resource Management, Inc.